if I do, if I do pay enough, I just believe enough, I just say the right things enough, then maybe somehow I will feel it. And if I don't feel it, it's because I'm not doing enough, I'm not saying enough, I'm not believing enough, I'm not trying to hurt enough to reach that standard. And you're looking at that saying, man, maybe it'd be better up to this, you know, better for you to just shut up and listen. But does God really want us to come to his presence and not say a word? Is it really going to be a past fault? Because sometimes this word listen, you're thinking, well, this is quite a positive word here. And you sit down and listen to what God has to say. How many of us have ever struggled with voices in our heads that sound like God at the very beginning? We feel condemnation, we feel guilt, we feel shame. We don't feel conviction, which is that, hey, I'm calling you upward. I have something better for you. I'm encouraging you. I'm not condemning you. It's like, hey, you know, I'm calling you upward. I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you upward. I'm calling you close. I'm trying to call you out of those, uh, those painful experiences to redeem and restore and renew you. This is the message of Christianity. It's not, it's one of conviction. It's like, hey, this is what I need before I need to go. This is why I need to embrace the law. I'm coming into it. I'm never messing up. I'm never good enough. But the problem is, depending on how we view God and how we approach that time and we, we come before God and we sit at His feet and we listen, what we hear oftentimes depends on our attitude and perspective. And so the real question that I want to leave for you today, if you're feeling like there's a pointlessness to your faith, that it, it doesn't quite have that meaning, it's not really connected, the first question I would encourage you to explore today, is are you being honest about this where you are spiritually? When you get down on your face before God with whatever it is, whether it's your joy or your pain, are you being honest about where you really are? It's like God would get this about you, but I didn't get this about you. I understand this about myself, but I didn't understand this about myself. God, I wish I was here, but I feel like I'm over here. God, I, I, I just, I'm here, and maybe I'm trying to convince you to someone, and maybe I'm trying to make up for past wrongs, but just being honest about where you really are. And it is an attitude more than what you say. Because if we're not willing to be honest, then we're going to do all kinds of crazy stuff to try to impress them. And this thing happens, and then it's going on the other side wondering, did I actually do this? Will it be enough? And with most things in the world, problems don't go away right away. Negative feelings don't go away right away. There's a process that we work through, that we overcome, where we find peace and hope and joy in the things that we want to go on to and to the world with. But there's a process. If I just come in and say, if I believe the right things, I say the right things, and I, I just do this, and somehow the scales are going to tip in my favor, and God is going to show up, and move that mountain, and, and, and it, it's, it's really kind of foolish to think that it's up to us to convince God that we're worthy of his investment. And that's what some of us talk about, but it's don't you know that this is evil? That's, that's a really strong word, evil. Why is that evil? Because it completely distorts who God is. 
makes them be a tiny, a demanding, or a very far. Not a loving and compassionate father. He goes on in verse 2. And he says some really incredible things. There too, he says, Do not lash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For the kingdom of heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Well, the idea of being lost, you know, is this idea that we need to be careful in our honesty. Right? So it says, guard your hearts. That's the idea of being careful. You know, be careful, you know, to be honest. But sometimes in that honesty, we just come in there with all of our anger, and man, we, we just, we just, we just, we just, we and the reason why this is so important for us to understand is that in our honesty, if we're not careful to become the right person where we think we're really being honest, but what we're really doing is placing blame or shifting the life. You know, whether it's hating another person or being a person that they hate you towards another person or detecting us and it's all his fault. We need to be careful with judging something. We can say, hey, well, this person has really done something that's hurting me, it's messed me up, and it's confusing me, it separates me from the idea of God being love and good and what my existence is. All that's appropriate. The same God, if you really care, you really do anything, you just want to have to do something. And what you do is you really look at all of the good things that God has done, all the good things that God has offered to you in that brokenness and in that time. And what I'm saying is, yes, be honest, but it's not about you just. In that brokenness, there comes a point where you get past the rashness of what you're saying and you come down saying, Okay, I broke it, and now I start to know I need to do some hard work here. I gotta start to reconcile some things when we disconnect. And that's what he's talking about. He says, So don't be rashly enough to pop off and stay there, and don't let your heart be hasty, quick to run the judgment. Speaking too quickly, allowing your heart to too quickly, you know, be impulsive and driven by negativity in the world because that can, again, just lead to a very dark, dark place. So are you being honest in a way that you don't do? This is the kind of honesty God works and honesty with the sense of knowing, God, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm struggling with painful expression. I don't like it. I, I hate where I am. Sometimes I blame you, and I don't want to stay here. It's bringing it full circle. It's not just coming to God to vent. It's coming to God and venting to find God and to find where you need to be right And so you can do that, and all of a sudden the pain and the frustration in our lives and have some sense of meaning as we interact with them. Otherwise, it's a complaint question, and we walk away, and the problem's still there, and eventually we can just be dismissive of ourselves, others, and ultimately God. This is what Solomon is wrestling with. And, and, he, and he comes back and he says, For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Why do you say that? Very simple. None of you have lost the relativity of your wisdom. No matter who it is, how hard I work to try to keep a big picture and be educated and informed and try to consider other people's feelings, no matter how big my view is, it's still huge. God is in heaven and he sees things very differently than we do. He sees fuller pictures, he sees bigger dynamics, he sees bigger plans. 
sometimes, as much as we can see what God sees, the best we can do is trust in the God who sees these things. And trust that He is not going to just work for good for some, but He's going to work for the good of those who love Him, and He's going to work for the good of those that He wants them to live and He loves them. See, God doesn't bring down pleasure in His life for us because His message in this life is redemption. It's grace. I want to restore you. I want to renew you. I want to redeem you. I want you to know me. I want you to get clear people who I am. That's why I'm going to a human story. This is why I revealed myself in the way that I did. This is why we have a historical record of who I am and what I've done on the earth and, 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 and the Bible. You know, this is why we have this ability to research and to inform ourselves and to understand and to experience and to include all of our senses in this process. His message is to say, I want everybody to know who I am, what I want to do in their life, and who they can be in a renewed relationship with me. It's not about bringing down judgment on you or the people that affect you. Sometimes you don't have that sort of perspective, especially with some of the horrific things that happen to the community. You know, it's seen to be abuse and violence. You know, these, these things are hard, hard subjects to reconcile loving justice. But God is working to redeem a big picture and to redeem all people. He says, therefore, let your word be few. See, this idea here, word being few, goes back to the idea of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking about prayer, and he says, don't feel like you have to give many, many words and be eloquent in your speech and just go on and on and on and on and try to impress you to come to yourself. So don't bother. Just be where you are. Speak to be, be honest, however short, sweet, and simple it is, because that's where my heart goes. My heart goes to the grieving. My heart goes to the broken. My heart goes to the bones. My heart goes to the humble. And so when he says, gorgeous steps, it's not warning of condemnation. It's the kind of garden that God used with Moses when he approached the burning bush of the Lord. Take off your sins, Moses. You're standing in my presence. This is a unique experience for you. I want you to be aware that you're here with me. I'm here with you. And I'm about to speak into me. That's a very different kind of warning, isn't it? One shows up here, the other is going to come. So, am I being honest with God about where I am in a way that honors and is reverent to Him? The second question that you need to ask, if you feel like your faith is being missed, is Am I trying to barter with Jesus? Am I trying to barter with Jesus? You know what this is, right? It's like, hey God, you know, you, you find yourself in a difficult situation. You're like, hey God, if you do this, I promise you, I will go to church for the rest of my life. I promise you, I'll follow you faithfully forever and ever. You make these big statements, right? Because you find yourself in big, difficult situations, and you start looking at it, saying, "Man, did I do something to make God angry to bring about this judgment? Is there something that I can do to change His mind so He will work in my favor?" We don't need God. God can do this. I'll do that. I want you to stop for a second. 
Is there any relationship on earth where you could take that same mindset approach and come out on the other side with a meaningful, secure relationship? Like, hey, Scott, you know, if, if you do this thing, man, it comes up here. Are we going to have a great friendship? Okay. Put your mind into that one for a second. They're like, hey, if you do this for me, then you know, I'll do this for you. Kind of thing. Because it's not a reality of your relationship for the moment. There's no meaning in that. It's contractual, it's conditional. If you do this to my life, then I'm going to do this to try to satisfy the point. When you're bounced up against the wall, the world's completely ending, and yet again, there's another impossible problem in the face. I'm very afraid I'm going to just do that. Because if you are, you need to find yourself in the world's care and the other problems. Not because you can't be But you're putting them in a position that you don't want to be in. And you're putting yourself in a position to do what you can't do for yourself. So what do you see? It's probably the rest of the rest of the world. It comes in from verses 4 and 5 and he says, When you vow a vow of God, do not delay it. For he has no pleasure in tears. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should. Uh, to not vow, then you should vow and not pray. We can read this in the church. You can read this in, I have to make these promises to God, and I have to deliver on those promises to God so that God doesn't lay with me a fool. If I want God's pleasure, then I have to make these promises and I have to see them through, and then I'll get God's pleasure. And some people church that up by saying, I will obey God, and if I obey God, then God will love me. And after all, we use the verse to back it up and say, those who obey God love God. You want to know that's the equivalent of it? It's the equivalent of a high school guy trusting a girl saying, if you love me, you will do this. Does that look like love and obedience? It's kind of a lot like manipulation, isn't it? See, can you imagine standing at the wedding altar? And what do you think about the idea of the difference between a vow and a promise, right? Vows are big, right? These are like lifelong commitments. I'm all in, everything within me, and they to make sure that I'm in. Promises are the little things that we do along the way to bring about the vows. Right? So when we stand at the altar and marriage, we're not making a promise to her. We're making a vow to her. It's like these sickness and it's like, it's like so that's the full life thing. From richer or poorer, from eating to the fish out of the can to eating home if you want things in the future, then 
right? And I know what, and I love you, and in this group, we're going to be wise together, we're going to come every season, every experience, every hardship, every joy, every emotion, we're going to press through it, we're going to do this thing together. I'm vowing my life, my participation, my love, my energy, my heart, my work, and I'm vowing every aspect of my being to you. And the promise is that the little things I do along the way to apply myself to this vow. Now, if you stand at the altar and you bow to your future spouse because you're expecting to get something out of them in return, your marriage will end in divorce. It has nowhere to go but poverty. Because you're entering into a contractual relationship. If you do this, I will do this. And if you don't do this, then I don't have to do this anymore. See, when you stand at the altar, there is no doubt in anyone's mind that you will get sick one day. There is no doubt in anyone's mind there will be times when your bank account is empty. There is no doubt in anybody's mind that you're going to stand in a relationship where you're not going to feel like being kind or compassionate. You're going to be stressed when you're older. You're going to have to deal with your own emotions. You know, that's the, that's the truth of it. You're standing across, you know, for that other person making this vow saying, I know full well that they're going to be dark days, and I know full well that they're going to be great days, and the way I love you in the great days is going to be the way I love you in the dark days, and I'm making the vow saying, I'm in it for every experience. When you bow down to God, don't delay and turn it. Don't drag your feet in doing it. The reason we drag our feet when we do it is because we look at God saying, you haven't delivered on your own. Or you feel like maybe we're giving more to Him than what He's given us. What makes somebody more to give than what He's given us? always the and brought me back to the world. I spent a final life when we sent me and made a promise to him. No matter what, I was going to do all of it. Every experience, we're going to do these things together. And the reason I did that is that I was going to be that she she is the love of the world. She loves the world. Not the way I'm going to do this when I get this in return. She just chose to love me. She took the risk to love me. For who I was, imperfect and broken, she chose to love me. And when I'm standing at the altar, I'm saying, if I love you, I'm still love you. No matter who you are and where you are, I love you. I mean, we 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 look beautiful the way we did it along. I mean, our relationship was tested in a lot of ways, and came out on the other side saying, "Man, I would rather live the bad days with you than to live those bad days with you." How do we get that? Let me ask you a question. What's the proper response to a God who 
threw himself all in the sacrificing to love you and I. And that's the one thing we need to do. What's the proper response to that? First Let your mouth not lead you to sin, and do not stay before the messenger, and let him just think. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of the Lord? You know what he's saying? He's caught between this idea of what he needs to do to impress God, and has lost sight of what God needs to do for him. You know what God has done for him, I should say. See, when we overlook the fact that he got in, when we lose sight of who God is and what he has done for us, then we're going to bond with God. We're going to negotiate with God. We're going to manipulate God. We're going to make promises expecting God to deliver and go forward in our own But when we step back, when we step back and we realize that God threw himself off in and this is a question that really loved us, and that he never left us, to love him in return before he initiated that love. God never asked you to make a bet, but God doesn't want a relationship where there's no investment in that relationship. Israel didn't start loving me, expecting me to go to the altar any more than I started loving Israel, expecting her to go to the altar with me. But we did come and say, we're going to love each other and see where this leads. And part of my mind is this love, this deep covenant love that I feel. That's what I hope for finding here. That's what I hope for building here. And what we're doing is we're just responding to unconditional love. Not to manipulate, not to get my way, not to say, you know, it's not like I stood at the altar and promised my life saying, I'm going to love you so I get what I want. I'm going to love you. That's not it. It's looking at the bigger picture of life and you do everything to show me that you love me and that you want me in your life. And God, I can do anything so that I can understand your life. So I can understand your So we can go through life together. When you make a vow, don't delay in keeping it. Don't tell yourself to me. Trust the process. Talk to them. Not out of obligation, not out of manipulation. Which brings us to the third point, third question. Third question I ask, when we're wrestling with the meaning of faith is, am I following Jesus out of obligation? Am I following Jesus out of obligation? Well, God has done this, and I'm going to prove that I'm going to live up to the story. I don't follow through after all because God has done so much for me. There's a sense of beauty there, and I'm not careful to realize that what God really wants to do in my life. And that's the way he personalities get it. He wants to make you last together. Not that I'm on a date, but I don't think I'm right. Not that, you know, we're, we're mutually using each other, but. We are mutually connected together. What do we see this in verses 3 and 7? He says, For a dream comes with much business and fool's voice with many words. Do you know what he's saying? Is that when you dream, we think, we plan, we work. We dream, we think, we plan, we work. We work, 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 and we think, and we think, and we think, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we serve, and we serve, and we do all these things, and I think that 
en la iglesia de los He equates the spiritual world to the sense of activity, the sense of business, the sense of doing more. It's how to make the connection. If I just do enough, if I just tell enough, if I just talk enough, if I just check enough boxes off, then I'm going to find a meaningful faith in that obligation. And we know that any, remember, you ever felt like somebody's called you and been calling you and calling you and texting you and saying, hey, let's grab dinner, let's grab coffee, let's grab dinner, let's grab coffee, and you're like, oh, no, it's me, it's me, you know, oh, my God, you say, like, the kids are still thinking, you're really thinking, it's like, why are you just keeping me in the And then they keep persisting to the point that I'm like, well, no, excuse me, I'm going to be there. What am I doing? And so you go in your home, obligation. What do you need to do? Do you feel like you have to do this? <laughs> if I don't do this, then somehow I'm going to die for you. If I don't do this, then I'm going to work in my life anymore. If I don't do this, then I'm going to do this. 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 Because I'm like that, it's empty. Okay? Why do I need to push that credit? It's all about me. It's all about me. I need to figure out who I am and where I am in the world. I need to speak to this one. This is what I need to do. It's been time to get into perspective. Not to take out the box. Not to get a favor. Not to. You know, protect them, you know, and, and as much as that's important. He goes on. Verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, they mean anything. The more I dream, the more I think, the more I plan, the more I throw, the more I pray, the more I go, the more I do this, the more the things that he's doing is pointless. I'm exhausted. I'm not doing anything. I'm not coming in. I'm not connecting with God in a meaningful way. The reason for that is you're doing it out of the blue screen. And nobody gets anything good out of the blue screen. See, without a great motivation, faith is empty. Why is it important as what we do? And doing things without understanding why. Really, it's a lot of hardship. So we spend time with God because we want to see those things. We want to get to know who we We want to learn about who we are and what we can do in the world. You know, or it's like the reason that we eat. You know, we can eat at a lot of instant, or we can eat at an impulse, you know, to try to cope, or we can eat because of the right and the things to do. But while we eat, has an effect on our mind. <laughs> the way we approach God and spend time learning what we learn and learning about Him, the motivation is going to have an effect on us. And so if we're approaching the mind against Him, we're not going to get nourished. We may get something, but it's not going to be the thing that's not going to be the best. 
but he believes that he is awesome and powerful and that he is gentle in the way that he interacts with you, the way he interacts with humanity. And you're just going to be blown away by his goodness and his power. And all he uses it to do is good. All he uses it to bring about redemption. All he uses it to bring your power. So which one? The bottom line questions. Asking these four questions will help us determine if you have a do more, try harder, or be good enough faith, which is meaningless, or whether we have a sort of faith when we know that God wants to be a part of our everyday life and invites us. Asking these four questions helps us determine whether we're on the meaningless path of faith or one when we know that God has loved us and made voluntary to find himself only in a way where we live to find ourselves alone. Which one do you want to Here's the path to receive the trust faith that you learned from your husband's life. It's trusting the Father is who he said he is. Loving and trusting and free and powerful and mighty disciples. And really to capture our minds and our hearts and our affections and our affections. And it's there that life and faith 